0: But as we get started this morning, uh, we're going to have uh, our portion of scripture read uh, by my friend Becky. So Welcome Becky on up to the front here this
1: morning. Okay, the reading today is in Colossians 2. This is the NIV version. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those in Laodicea and for all those who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know mystery, the mystery of God, namely, Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in christ is so then just as you received christ jesus as lord continue to live in him rooted and built up in him strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than of Christ. For in Christ all the fullness and the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, which is not with circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ, Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities he made a public spectacle of them triumphing them over them by the cross therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regards to religious festival a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day these are the shadows of things that were to come the reality however is found in Christ do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about where he has seen, but what, pardon me, what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its own ligaments and sinews, grows as God. God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you are still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence.
0: I think it's I think it's a great thing for you to hear other voices, and uh, especially as we're reading scripture, um, this is just a uh, awesome awesome thing. Uh, so thank you, Becky, for being willing to do that this morning. How many of you have heard of? Uh, and you might see some of these on Facebook. It, it's a comic called Heart and Brain. Heart and Brain. Anybody? Okay. I'm going to show you a few of the few cartoons this morning. Okay, just to give you an idea what this is. Let's look at, blah, 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 blah. Let's look at the first one. <laughs> There we go, all right, there's the heart and brain, and there's the heart, he's saying, oh, I want that butterfly, and the brain is holding on to the heart's foot, right? No, you don't need, and the heart says, okay, right? Okay, this is all from theawkwardyeti.com, let's look at the second one. The brain is building this wall, this beautiful plan, right, and here's the heart still chasing the umbrella, and what does he do to the brain's plan, Right? He bursts right through it, doesn't have a clue what he's doing to chase after that butterfly. Let's look at the third one. The heart has this view of this beautiful rainbow and the butterfly in this sunny day. Things are so great. Meanwhile, the brain is, is looking the other direction and saying, um, heart, uh, turn around and look what's right behind you. And the heart's like, nope, nope, nope. I'm enjoying this beautiful day. Does that give you an idea? Heart and brain, right? Where the logic, the, the, the emotion, right? The play that, that is inside of all of us between those two things. Well, we're going to get back to that here in a minute. Uh, this is a second week in a three-week uh, three series uh, looking at the letter of Colossians. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. And actually, you'll see next week, he also wrote it to the church in Laodicea, um, because he says at the end, when you're done reading this, give it to them, and then take the letter I sent to them and read it in Colossae. And so he had written these two letters to these two churches, um, and uh, sometimes we call these books, but they're actually, this in particular, this is a letter that Paul wrote, and uh, he wrote a lot of letters uh, to specific churches or people, uh, but he wrote four in particular while he was in chains. And uh, so last summer, we started this series by looking at the letter of Philippians. He wrote that to the church in Philippi. Um, And then in September, we looked at a letter that he wrote to a person by the name of Philemon. By the way, Philemon uh, was a wealthy man, likely, and the church at Colossae met in his home. And so there's a connection there Uh, that was pretty interesting. We talked about that last week. Um, And then later this year, we will finish the fourth uh, letter while he was in chains of Ephesians. I'm not sure what time yet this year, but we will fit that in this year sometime. And so we're taking three weeks to cover this letter to the Colossian church. Now, a little background, and I mentioned this last week, but Paul wrote a lot of his letters uh, with the intent of correcting some errors that were starting to occur inside the church. He wanted to remind them of important things uh, that they should not lose hold of. Uh, There was a lot of false teaching happening. In particular, in Colossae, there was a group um, called, called, called Gnosticism, and there was a subgroup called the Essenes who who were infiltrating the church. They were um, teaching things that were very different from what the gospel taught. They claimed that they had the corner on all knowledge, that, that even the apostles were, were incorrect in, their, in what they were writing, although what they were writing was coming from God himself. Uh, but these uh, Essenes said, no, we have, we have the corner on wisdom. We, we've cornered the market on wisdom. Um, They also stated that God didn't actually create the universe, but that he created a creature, who created a creature, and there was this long line of creatures creating each other, of which one was Jesus Christ at some point, and then at some point the universe was created. This was their take on creation. They also practiced uh, severe self-discipline, and you see part of that uh, woven into chapter two here uh, where Paul addresses this already. We'll talk about it in a minute, but they would severely discipline themselves so that they would not get close to doing something against their religious practice, and they called that asceticism. And Paul would have to spend significant time in this letter reminding the believers at the church in Colossae and others of, of the true nature of God. The, the true nature of the gospel and what it looked like to live by following Jesus and the hope that they had in the gospel and that they wouldn't be carried away by these false teachers. And in chapter 1 last week, uh, you can still check this out on our podcast, Uh, you can get that through our website or through iTunes uh, podcast, Um, but in chapter 1 we saw that Paul encouraged uh, the Colossian believers by telling them all of the good things that he had been hearing about them. Their pastor, Epaphras, actually went to visit Paul while he was in chains, and he was the one carrying this letter back to his church. And uh, all these good things he had heard, in particular, the faith that they had shown in Christ, and and the love that they had shown and were showing for each other, and how that faith and that love sprang from a hope that they had in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he spent the bulk of of, uh, chapter 1 giving 10 evidences of the fact that Christ is over all. Jesus Christ is over all, and that's really the theme of the entire letter of Colossians. Jesus is God. One in three. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. I can't explain that to you. I I can give you a quick visual, maybe. I'm a big fan of Kool-Aid. We don't have a lot of Kool-Aid in our house anymore, but as a kid, I loved Kool-Aid kool-aid okay there's three components you probably sure. see where i'm going with this what, what are the three components to kool-aid sugar water, water sugar. and the Kool-Aid. <laughs> sugar water and the kool-aid mix depending on how much sugar you use three different things right when you mix those all into one jug what happens Kool-Aid. yeah it turns into something right but it's still the three components It's still those three things, you just can't distinguish between them. Now that's not exactly how the Trinity works, it's not that simple, but that might help you visualize a little bit what this means, where they're one, but they're actually three, three in one. Jesus is God. That was what, chapter 1, Paul spent a lot of time. He's not just some creature that was created in some line of creatures. He existed before creation as part of the Trinity, and actually, John told us, he, without him, nothing was made. So he was before creation. Um, let's see, one quick reminder. I mentioned this um, a while back, but um, a lot of times people will be a little bit confused by the, the name Jesus Christ. Well, are they both his name? What, what does this mean? Because at some, some ways, we just call him the Christ. And sometimes we refer to him as Jesus, and sometimes it's Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's Jesus the Christ. Well, Jesus is his name, okay? And Christ is his title. Christ is his title. That, the word Christ means Messiah or anointed one. He is the one who has the final say. He is Jesus the Christ, Okay, Just in case there's any confusion over that. And these types of ideas were in sharp contrast to what the Essenes were trying to state as truth. And again, in chapter 2, we're going to see Paul address many of these issues that this Gnostic thought process was creating for the church. So I'm going to comment. If you didn't open your Bibles already to Colossians 2, go ahead and do that. That's where we're going to spend majority of our time this morning. Maybe you have a Bible app. Uh, maybe you'd like to follow along on the YouVersion app. We actually have the notes in there for you to take notes on. Um, if you're not sure how to do that, we can talk about that afterwards. But at the opening of this, this uh, chapter, Paul says, I want you to know, church in Colossae, I want you to know how hard I am content, contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. I think I mentioned it in passing last week, but Paul had actually never met this church in person. They had never met him. And there were, there were idea or reasons for that. But he says, I am contending for you. This word carries the idea of being in great agony. Great agony because Paul was so concerned that this vibrant but young church was about to go in one of two directions and and both of these directions would be an unhealthy way to go and he was contending with great agony for them. In fact, I mentioned the city of Laodicea because Paul does here. That, uh, that city might sound familiar. We don't have a book or letter of the Bible um, to the Laodiceans, uh, but if you, it may sound familiar to you, if, you ever, if you've ever read the book of Revelation. Uh, in Revelation 2 and 3, John actually has a, visit, a vision of the seven types of churches that were represented by specific churches in specific cities around at that time. And part of the vision included encouragement uh, for some, but mostly warnings, um, including the church at Laodicea. And you can see here, Revelation 3, uh, it says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot or you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth, And those are the words of God speaking to this church, or this, this, some people believe this is an era now of churches, of the church itself, over throughout history. But this was the message he had, because both of these churches, um, Colossae and, and uh, Laodicea, they both had money, these, these were wealthy communities, they were well respected. But they were in danger of losing their connection to what truly mattered. And that's what Paul was trying to get to the core of here by writing this letter. His ultimate goal was for them to be encouraged in heart, to be united in love. He says their whole being, their heart, he refers to their heart, their whole being needed encouragement to keep moving forward. And the church itself needed to continue to be united in their love for each other it wasn't good enough for them to have a lot of money or to have a, a, a lot of spiritual gifts or, or some type of intellectual Gnostic spirituality. What they needed was a, a more complete understanding of God and, and, and a God in whom all knowledge and understanding are found. And it's the same with you and me here today. We might not know everything about God or be able to understand what, what the Trinity really is. I mean, we can talk about it. We might not understand everything. We might not know the plan that he has for us. We might not, we might really be wondering right now, should I take that job? Should I make that move? Should I, whatever the case, we might not know that, but we know that we can trust him. And we know that he knows what that answer is. He is Christ over all. Because we'll never have enough money. We'll never have enough intellect. We'll, we'll never build up enough good deeds to earn our spot. It's all about Jesus the Christ. And so what Paul is going to do in chapter 2, he's going to address two extreme viewpoints. And within those two extreme viewpoints, we're going to find six errors that can occur within, within them. And he's doing this in order to give the Colossians a real reminder about who it is that they have placed their faith in and why they should continue moving forward. Now, I want to warn you this morning, the fact that these errors, these two extremes and these six errors built inside of them still exist today. This was not unique to the church in Colossae. And I would just challenge you that as you hear these words from the Apostle Paul, which, remember, ultimately came from God himself, uh, that you'll take a look at your own life. And you, and you will take a moment today and think about, are, are there any of these errors that are creeping in to my own walk with Jesus? The two extremes we're going to be looking at today have to do with uh, overarching themes called philosophy And ritual. Philosophy and ritual. Um, I found in my life that um, usually extremes, um, in fact, when I hear the word extreme, I think, oh, that's too extreme. (laughs) Right? So anytime there's extremes, I feel like, yeah, that's probably not a healthy place to be. It's probably somewhere more in between those two things. Um, And I think it's the same as it relates to these two. Because when we take um, anything to its extreme, we're way out of balance. So we're going to take these two extremes today, philosophy and ritual, and I'm actually going to refer to them as head and heart. Why? Because it's, they're both H's. Um, I could have done um, heart and brain like the, the cartoons at the beginning, but I'm doing head and heart, philosophy and ritual. Okay? Those are the two things we're going to do. And we're really going to expand on those ideas by taking a look at the six errors that are contained within them. So let's start uh, by taking a look at The head. The head. The first extreme, there we are, head. There we go, philosophy. There's your little friend there, the the head guy. All right, the first error that we see when we look at the head is persuasion, persuasion. And this goes all the way back to verse four. Paul says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments. Now, Paul is concerned about the Essenes and he's concerned about their attempt to deceive this church, this, this word deceive, means to beguile. I love that word, to beguile, to entice, to sweet talk. But it actually, the, the word that Paul uses here, it carries with it the idea of victimizing them. See, it's the motive behind this false teaching that is the problem. He says these fine-sounding arguments, they're not being used to motivate the Colossian church into their spiritual growth or to be more like Christ, actually, their motive behind is focused on creating more followers for themselves. That's the problem, because sometimes uh, people are drawn away by a really by really clever wordplay or by a really smooth talker. And I just want to say, aren't you glad you don't have to worry about that here? I'm not particularly clever. I'm not necessarily the smoothest of talkers, but you know what? That's okay. Because what I want to do the speaking is the word of God and the Holy Spirit. And he's the best. So, um, But Paul was concerned with the smooth talking that was being brought in by the Essenes. And Paul compliments their discipline. He, he says, like a well-trained military unit, you're standing shoulder to shoulder, and you're working together rather than undermining or, or trying to take advantage of one another. And he says, your faith is firm. It's immovable. It's strong. Don't let that go by the wayside. Because this church had a good reputation. He, he wanted to encourage them to keep moving forward. Don't take steps back. Keep moving forward. And he says, just as you receive Jesus Christ, continue to live your lives in him. That firm faith in in who he is and what he's done should spur you on for him every single day. You know, when you accept Jesus, everything magically changes positive in your life, right? (laughs) I was hoping I would say that in a way that you would get it because not everyone gets my humor. Um, you know, everything's fine, right? Your bank account magically fills right up, right? All your problems melt away. No, you all know better than that, right? The Christian life isn't like getting in a rocket and taking off. Everything's all of a sudden better. You're flying high. Everything's great. Now it's an amazing thing. It's, it's a beautiful thing when you understand what God has done for you and you accept that into your own life. And it changes your eternity. And it changes the fact of your present, that you can live for him, that that you can live in victory in your life. But that doesn't mean that you are protected from all harm, that you won't experience trouble in this world. And so instead of a rocket, it's more of a walk. We talk a lot about it in those terms. It's a walk. It's a daily walk. It's a journey to become more and more like Jesus. Uh, and this is true for this young church in Colossae. Uh, fully understanding every area of our lives that need to change, uh, that isn't immediately understood when you accept Jesus. What you know when you accept Jesus is, man, I am without hope unless I accept his free gift. And, and then it's after salvation where God continues to reveal through our entire lives, through his spirit, the areas in our life that need to be refined. Because when we first accept him we may not understand that He wants to change us in this area or that area, but His Holy Spirit continues to work on us in those ways, and it was the same for this church. There's, there's not this total, immediate change. Now, sometimes there are things that happen really quickly. Major changes happen in people's lives as they accept Christ, um, but that's not the norm. It's not with every area of our life. Sometimes those are the big areas that need to change, but it's not maybe for years until we realize that God wants to refine us in other areas. He's still refining me. He's still refining every single believer in the world. And Paul says that their faith should be rooted and built in nothing but Him alone. I love the picture of being rooted like a tree. Right? The roots help the tree to stay in place, right? But they also provide the nutrition to the rest of the tree. Or this idea of being built up, he says, uh, it makes me think of a house. And, and what do you build first? Before you can build the house, you have to have a foundation, right? So there's this foundation in place, and I love the view of those two things that that we draw our life. We are we are and we are firmly in place, rooted, and and we have this foundation um, at the same time in Jesus Christ. He is the one that we are that makes us stable. He gives us life and nutrition. Um, and this firm foundation that we can rest on. And so Paul is continuing these types of themes to remind them it's not these other things. It's not these other things. It's Jesus Christ alone. And so it's difficult to be persuaded by a clever, smooth-talking, false teacher if you are rooted and built up in what Christ has to say. That the second error that Paul was addressing is philosophy. And you might say, but Paul, this whole section is called philosophy. How can you use philosophy? To do? It's, I can do what I want. <laughs> I can do that if I want. And I needed um, three Ps. So I'm using philosophy. Okay, I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. <laughs> In verse 8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. He says, see to it. Watch out. Beware, look out, stop. Be careful because there are those that do not hold the word of God in high regard and they're looking everywhere else for truth but the word of God itself. Even though, Paul reminds them, Christ is over all. Watch out because not everybody falls in line with that. Because man has always looked to other forms of knowledge. Paul calls out this hollow and deceptive philosophy, you know, things that sound really, really good. Man, they make you feel good when you hear them, but really, if you dig in, they really lack substance. He talks about human tradition. Remember, uh, especially, and we still have a problem with this today, but back in... um, the uh, early church, the, the religious folks outside of the church in that day relied heavily on tradition, things that they had developed over the years, and, and they put them on people's backs like heavy loads that, that were so hard to carry. And so human tradition is another thing that people really look at. And then he refers to something called the elemental spiritual forces. And and that sounds kind of interesting. What does that mean? What Paul is referring to there are the basic worldly truths that are out there. You know, your ABCs, math, you know, those the things that are just true because they were created that way. And so people are relying on those things more than relying on Christ. Instead of looking to those, those things, Paul says, gain your knowledge by looking to Christ and how he says to live, who is the fullness of deity in bodily form. And we've covered this a couple of different times in recent weeks. Uh, Solus Christus was one of those. He, Jesus wasn't 99.99999% God. He was 100% God. And and this Paul says and you also have been brought to fullness. We've been made complete in him. Whatever we need for our journey in life, for that walk as we're growing to become more and more like Jesus, whatever we need for that, we can find in him. We don't have to look at this hollow and deceptive philosophy. We don't have to hold on to our human tradition. We don't have to only look to the elemental spiritual forces that are present in the world. We can find our fullness in Christ alone. And he says, in him you were circumcised. Not in a physical sense. Uh, That was meant for the Jewish nation. But Paul is basically saying, don't be so concerned with the outward. We have been made full in Christ. Uh, In fact, uh, in Galatians 6, verse 14 and 15 Paul writes to the church in Galatia, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. And Paul goes on to say, We're buried with him in baptism. We identify, that's part of what baptism is. We are identifying with his death when you go under the water. We're saying, "Yep, we're dying to ourself now." And really that our sins are are dying with us. He says, "You're dead and you're dead in your sins, but God has made you alive in Christ." We're brought back to life. That's what that picture when we come back up out of the water. It's a picture of what Jesus has done for us. We're brought back to life. And, and we're not just, and we, we, don't, we shouldn't look at ourselves as just improved versions of our, of our old selves. No, the scripture tells us you are a new creation when you've accepted Christ. Now, baptism doesn't make that happen. It's a picture of that. But when you accept Christ, you are a new creation. You're not just some version of your old self anymore. And so Paul is challenging them, be rooted and built up in God. Stop trying to use the philosophy and traditions of men to search for ultimate truth. And the third uh, philosophy or head error that is involved in what Paul says, is saying here is something that he refers to as powers. Powers powers. He forgave us all our sins, 13, the end of 13 says, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Paul says, don't worry so much about your past. Jesus already dealt with that. When that invoice came due, he paid for that with his own blood he nailed that invoice to the cross and that's where it remains today and and Paul says when he did that he disarmed all the powers all the authorities that used to have control over us the things that we used to be slaves to he disarmed them he took away their power and he exposed them for what they are And Paul says, if we rely on the errors that live in our head, persuasion, philosophy, and powers, we can take our eyes off of the one who has done it all for us. If we rely on those things, we're way too far to the left. Those places should not be our go to for understanding, they can play a part in certain ways, healthy, biblical ways. There are things hidden within, um, you know, truth that is out there. I have mentioned that when we talked about Scripture a few weeks back. But this is our ultimate authority and what Christ has to say. So the first extreme is philosophy or our head. The second extreme has to do with our heart or ritual. This is the place where our emotions live. So it's not our intellect Okay, it's not to that extreme. This is the place where our emotions live. And, and like our head, if we stray too far into that extreme, uh, we're going to find ourselves in just as much danger of focusing on the wrong things. So the first error that we find in our heart ritual is ritual. I told you, I get to do what I want. <laughs> I needed three R's, so... Verse 16, Paul says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Do not let anyone judge you. The, Paul is saying these things should not only become ritual. These should not be things that you only do because that's what you've always done. Now, God had given Israel certain rituals to follow, certain festivals. Uh, he definitely you know, wanted them to keep the Sabbath. But Paul says these things are just a shadow. These things were a shadow of things to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. This shadow that he's talking about, we get our word photograph from the word that he used there for shadow. These Old Testament rituals, these festivals, all of these things were just a shadow. They were like the negative of a photograph. Pictures of Christ. But now that he has come, we have the reality. We have the reality. And not just a picture, not just these shadows of what is to come. We have him present. And so we don't have to rely on these things to point to him. He's right there. We can point to him. And I love traditions. We have a lot of them in our family. I love things that are predictable because I'm a, I'm a list maker And a planner. And I love when things can be done in a certain way all the time. But there is great danger in holding too tightly onto any of those types of things. And the real danger comes when you force those things on others. Or when you have expectations of others because you hold on to this ritual in your heart so strongly. Why don't they? That's where Paul is trying to say, look... Human tradition is fine. Those things, those ceremonies, those festivals can be meaningful. Just remember, hold on to Christ, not the ritual. The second error related to our heart is revelation. Revelation. Do not let anyone, verse 18 says, who delights in false humility and the worship of angels Disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. Paul is continuing to warn against those who claim to have some kind of a special knowledge. Some special revelation or message from God. He said that these people exchange a true relationship with God. For some kind of a special vision or a special experience that, you know, everyone else just doesn't have. You know, well, I've seen an angel. I'm sorry if you haven't, but I guess that just means I'm more spiritual than you. Right? That's, that's what he's getting at here. And he said of these people that they have lost connection with the head. They've lost connection with the head. That doesn't mean they're crazy. Last week, Colossians 1.18 told us who the head is. Jesus Christ, he is the head of the body, the church. They've lost connection with Jesus. They're too focused on seeing the angels. They're too focused on seeing... The shape in the clouds or, you know, in in other ways of having some kind of a special message or revelation from God. They're, They're too busy looking for those things to have a real relationship with Jesus himself. And so when you go too far with those things, you lose connection with the head. Now, do I believe that God can speak to us through many different means? God bless you. Yes, of course I do. Of course, I believe God can speak to us in different ways, but his primary communication is right here. Don't forget about this. He also speaks to us um, through the life of his son, Jesus. He he can speak to us through his his spirit, but we need to remember his primary communication has been given to us right here. And so if someone says to you, hey, I have a new message from God to share with you, be careful, be careful be careful. Even if I come up here and tell you that, be very careful. Somebody on the television tells you that, be careful. God has revealed himself through his word. So we have ritual and revelation. The third extreme with ritual is restraint. Restraint. Uh, Verse 20, Paul says, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of the world, why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teaching. Paul is reminding them that they have put aside these ABCs. They've put aside the, the wisdom of the world, just the natural things that, that, that you can see truth in. And instead, you're putting your faith in following Christ primarily. And, and to be careful of using these legalistic uh, types of rules just because they sound good or, or they might keep you far away. Remember, the Essenes were, were famous for this. They disciplined themselves. They beat, physically, literally beat themselves so that they wouldn't do the wrong thing. And they would all along, basically, by doing that, aren't I special? Aren't I special for denying myself of those things? And Paul says, even though these things look spiritual, they actually lack any value. There's no value in there in changing your life, ultimately. He's reminding them it's it's not what's important. Jesus accomplished everything for us. And we put our trust in who he is and what he has done. He doesn't want us to beat each other up. He's not some cosmic judge waiting for us to do the wrong thing so he can pound us. That's not who God is. God has given us a beautiful day to enjoy today. He wants us to have a full life. John 10 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That doesn't mean a perfect life, but a full life in who He is. We are full in His fullness. Now, this doesn't mean that what we do doesn't matter. We spent a lot of time on this in our last series. Of course, it does. Course, it does. You know, we can't just leave this place and do whatever we want and still um, be in perfect relation with God. What we do does matter, but are we relying on those things for our salvation and our standing with God, or are we relying on what Christ has done for our standing with God? And so this morning, I just want to ask you how's your head this morning? How's your head? Are you easily persuaded? by a clever, smooth-talking salesman? Or do you rely on the Word of God to do the talking? Are are you so busy looking at philosophy or the traditions that you hold on to that that you miss out on something new that God is trying to do in your life? Or how about those powerful forces that keep trying to control us? Do, Do you give them room in your life or do you allow God to shut them out of your life every day? by giving those over to him. How's your head? How's your head? What about your heart? What about your heart? Do you hold on to ritual? The, the way, do you do the, the things the way that you've, they've always been done all the time? Or do you allow room for God, again, to do something new in your life? Are you always looking for that vision of angels or the shapes in the clouds? Or, or do you place your hope In a God who has revealed himself fully in Scripture. Do you think that keeping the rules, you know, doing the things that you should do and not doing the things that you shouldn't do, do you think that's what's going to save you? Or are you going to rely on the one that has already done it all for you? I would just submit don't live in those extremes. Christ is right in the middle. And he used, we, we can use our intellect. We can use our emotion. When we take those things too far in either direction, we forget that it's all about Christ. And we need to rely on him every single moment of every single day. Let's pray.